This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. My name is Chris Basinger, and joining me today in the studio is Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how was your weekend? Uh, it was a good weekend, Chris. You know, spent a lot of time watching some soccer all across Europe, and it was a good weekend. Good to hear it. And joining me over the phone is my co-host, David Ordway. David, how's the puppy? He's great. He's dead. He's running around like a crazy, crazy person right now. If you hear those clicks, he's on the cardboard floor. But he's good. He's good. <laughs> good to hear it. Uh, let's jump right into the action. Uh, Everton, formerly unbeaten thus far in the season, fell to Southampton. Uh, the final score was 2-0. Um, Harrison, would you say that Everton had a rather uninspiring performance compared to the rest of their season? Yeah, I would say the biggest concern started as soon as the team sheet came out. You got to see Ben Godfrey slotted it right back over Seamus Coleman, and uh, you also had your concerns with Richarlison serving his suspension for the red card um, in the Merseyside derby. And yeah, I just think you just saw some weaknesses. They weren't able to stretch the ball the way they like to. Seamus Coleman being gone was a huge miss for them. Just that natural intelligence of a normal right back instead of a central defender converted to right back for that game. And then Richarlison is an outlet pass consistently there for Hamez at times when they need to stop the pressure. And they just didn't have that. I think Southampton took advantage of that. The first goal was excellent play from Ward Prowse and Danny Ings to link up with the give and go and the finish to get inside of Luca Dean was was perfect from Ward Prowse and uh Pickford just a little unlucky not to get one of his uh hands on that ball. Uh David, what are your thoughts on Everton's performance? Uh, I think we saw the real Everton, but at the same time, you know, I think they're a lot better than they were last year, and I still think they're going to absolutely challenge for top four. I mean, we're so early in the season still, and everyone's still stacked up. We just don't know who the frontrunners are going to be for the title, but I I think we saw a performance that every other team has had uh, except for Everton, and they had their bad performance. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, you know. Sometimes good, good things come out of bad performances. Yeah, so you would say that this kind of result was uh, inevitable for Everton? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to point at it being Richarlison missing or being, you know, you're missing Seamus Coleman. Uh, I think deeper squads win the Premier League more times than not. Um, I think the in the past few years, the only time we really haven't seen that is Leicester when they won, and that was an unbelievable uh, performance, uh, and not saying that will never happen again because it will. Uh, it's a sports, but uh, I, I think we did see how not having the deepest squad in the world can affect your team. Yeah, and uh, during the match, uh, Luca Dean was given a red card in the 72nd minute for stepping on Walker Peters' ankle. Uh, Harrison, do you think this was deserved? Yes, I think it was deserved simply because the studs raked the Achilles. It was dangerous. I mean, that is considered dangerous conduct, which falls under the rules of a red card. And yeah, it's a red card. He stood on his ankle, accident or not, he did it, and it was a dangerous act of play. Mm. Yeah, and uh, also Southampton, credit to them, they outshot the Toffees 13-6. to um, uh, David, does that say more about Southampton's attack or Everton's defense in this game? Uh, I think it's more about quality that Ralph Hassenhudel has in his team. Uh, you know, I, I, I have to say James Ward-Prowse, um, hard to believe, but he's 25 years old. I, I swear I've been watching him in the league now for six, seven years. I mean, he's, he's always been, 
you know, seems to be on Southampton. He's always been a really quality player. And uh, I think just Southampton has some really quality guys that um, in big moments can score goals and make a difference. Mm. Uh, and moving on, there was a rather uneventful matchup uh, at Old Trafford this weekend. Manchester United played Chelsea for a nil-nil draw. Harrison, what do you make of United's performance? I thought both teams looked at this game and thought we're not going to concede goals. That was both of their plans. Lampard makes sense that he would do that. He did it in his big semifinal win in the summer against United in the FA Cup. Um, prior to that, the previous three matches he'd lost, conceded uh, two goals in each of those games, uh, two goals or more in each of those games. And this time he decided to close up shop. Um, there was a graph on The Athletic this morning that showed the natural position of all the Chelsea players. And it was Werner just barely advanced over the halfway line. Havertz was inside their own half. And the statistics showed just after the game that United spent 50% of their touches in Chelsea's half. So they were the team that was going for it a bit more. But that being said, neither team was truly trying to go for it. And it was only until Pogba and Cavani had been introduced to the game that United really tried to put their foot on the, on the pedal. Uh, what would you say that Cavani's impact on the match was? I think he got a nice little chance right there at the beginning of the game. He got to see or the the beginning of his time on the field. He got a nice little flick on from Bruno. I think that just shows Cavani's natural intelligence to make that run near the post. And uh, he, we just didn't get to see quite much. I didn't think that there was enough link up. I think Bruno might have been slightly uncomfortable falling in that right-handed side um, of mid, of basically wing and attacking midfielder. And Pogba at the 10, I just think that there could have been better ideas there. Um, you obviously have Pogba, your superstar, but I think Donny van de Beek would have probably been a better link to get to that uh, that kind of link with Cavani and somebody from the midfield. Uh, and w- would you say that this draw is a better result for United or Chelsea in this point in the season? I think both I think both managers will look to take positives from it. I mean, they both did in their post-match pressers. But, uh, yeah, you just really need to build on not conceding. United at home have conceded... Uh, roughly nine goals already in the early stages of this season. And Chelsea, of course, you, uh, the three threes that have happened, two of them now, you just need to have that confidence of being able to close up shop. And that was a big performance from Mendy, I must say. If that had been Kepa and goal, United may have actually gotten a win there, but that was uh, an incredible performance from uh, a new goalkeeper. Mm. And, uh, David, I want to get your take on this. There was a uh, contentious moment in the game when Harry Maguire seemed to have Cesar's Pelicueta in a headlock in the box and there was no foul given, do you think that VAR got the call wrong? Uh, I don't think VAR even looked at it. Um, and I don't know why. I think it was a, I think it was a penalty um, in saying that. you know, VAR's going to make mistakes. Um, I, don't, I think it was very obvious that it was a red card. Uh, not a red card, it was a penalty. But, you know, it didn't, it seemed to go Manchester United's way in that Chelsea, you know, didn't get the pen. Um, I think it's just the inconsistency in VAR. Um, and again, we've dealt with this all year. We're going to continue to deal with it. And I think it's not something that'll be totally taken out of the game, you know, um, because it's, uh, that's the human error part of it. Uh, Harrison, I saw your face. Do you want to add anything to that? No, I believe it was probably a penalty. I just think that Espelicueta made the absolute most of it that he could. But, I mean, in the still shot of the photo, Maguire has his arms completely wrapped over him, and that's not a position you want to be in as a defender. Mm. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Edward Mende started uh, the game for Chelsea. How was his performance in the match, and would Chelsea have come away with a draw if he had not been in the goal? 
He was excellent. And like I said, had he not been playing, I, I do believe United probably would have scored. I don't think Kepa would have made those saves on Rashford's shots. And I thought that he was excellent. And this is a great start for him to come into such a big matchup to where your teammates are definitely going to be looking to you just a little bit closer. You know you're going to be under that pressure here at Old Trafford. And it was just a great performance to really give your teammates confidence that you can build on a performance like that. And now moving on to our next matchup of the weekend. Leeds defeated the then unbeaten Aston Villa 3-0 from a Bamford hat trick. Uh, Harrison, Leeds outshot Aston Villa 27-12, a very starking contrast between the teams. Uh, what was Bielsa's plan coming into the match, and how did the players execute it? Bielsa's plan was simple, to do exactly what he's been teaching this team to do for the last 24 months. And I thought that Villa were a little naive in approach. I think that the idea of trying to play a fully open game against a Bielsa coach lead side is ultimately a very dangerous game to play that few have succeeded in in winning. um, Liverpool being one, uh, this just wasn't the game they wanted to get involved with Villa, and they had a terrible 20-minute spell. I mean, the first goal goes in at minute 55. The third one hits the back of the net at minute 73. And after the game, Ollie Watkins said it themselves. They really and truly only lost focus for 20 minutes of that match, and it cost them the game because that's how leads are. They can blitz you just like that. Yeah, and a similar question to the one that I asked about Everton. Uh, was this result coming for Villa? Ultimately, this result was coming for Villa because they have made good improvements at the back, but we did see a team last year that struggled to keep clean sheets. And to come into a game like this against Leeds and to play open against them, you knew you were running that risk. I think that Dean Smith backs his players enough to, you know, go head-to-head with Bielsa and not really play defensively. And, you know, you want to instill the confidence in your players that, yes, we can play our way and we will win games playing our way. So maybe he didn't want to back away from what they had been doing because it had gotten them so much success up until this point. Uh, now, David, Bamford scored his hat-trick entirely in the second half of the game. Did you see any major changes between the first or second half, or was it just Leeds improving on what they had already done in the first half? I mean, I think it was just Leeds kind of already improving on what they did in the first half. Um, after watching the game, you know, it was obvious the best player on the field uh, was Jack Grealish uh, on both teams. I mean, I know Bamford had a hat trick, and, and he was overall the best player. You know, you can't can't not say that. But uh, you know, the quality of Jack Grealish um, really seems that they they really try to push the play through him, uh, which is what they should do. Uh, but Bamford, you know, I think Leeds just kept pushing, and they finally found a way through, and. Um, Bamford, you know, was good and, and played hard and worked hard, and and I think that's why he ended up scoring a hat-trick. Rightly said. And our next matchup of the weekend, Leicester City beat Arsenal 1-0 from a Jamie Vardy 80th-minute goal. Uh, David, were Arsenal robbed of a point in this one? Nope. They played, <laughs> they, they played poor. I'll say it again. Um, I think... <laughs> I don't I mean, this is the argument that you can have, and people have said it about Jose Mourinho in the past, too. You know, you play this, this, this drop-back football, um, and sometimes, you know, teams will score on you, and you'll sit there and go, oh, you know, where they robbed of a point. You know, and, and you could say the same thing about, you know, Tottenham West Ham when we talked about that last week. You know, were they robbed of, of, of two points? Uh, no. And, and, you know, results happen for a reason. It wasn't like there was a missed claim now Arsenal probably should have had a goal uh based on the point that you know the that 
that, that one goal was disallowed, but uh, Arsenal played poor. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, they beat, over the last week, you know, they beat um, that one team 2-1, to one, and I think it's along the lines of, uh, in the Europa League, and I think it's along the lines of, you, you see Arsenal not clicking totally. Uh, and, you know, they've lost both of the last two Premier League games. They have a huge game next week against Manchester United. Uh, and we'll just see how Arteta does with it. Harrison, your thoughts? Yeah, I thought Arsenal came at it from an approach of uh, similar to Manchester United and Chelsea. I thought it was a measured approach. Again, I think Arteta has to make do with what he's got. He doesn't. He can't play a full-fledged footballing system where he can possess the ball and play dynamic. He, he has to play damage control in mind. He knows what he has at the back isn't the strongest, and he has to fill those holes to make sure that things don't just suddenly, the floodgates don't open, which we know is possible at Arsenal sometimes. And, yeah, it was a chess match. It was just like uh, Manchester United and Chelsea. It was a chess match, and there wasn't really much of anything going for Leicester until Vardy had been brought on the field. And, I mean, it was a beautiful plan to just bring him on. He changes the dynamic of the game, and that that sequence of as soon as the ball touches Tielemann's feet, I believe he takes one touch, and it's just a gorgeous looping ball over the top for Vardy to get on the end of, and that was the plan. That would have been um, Brendan Rodgers' plan from the beginning, and it's, again, another example of Arsenal struggling the way Manchester United have similarly, and when they are asked to have possession more than they um, normally would, they are failing to break these teams down. They just lack that dynamism upfield. Now, uh, Willian was out of the squad due to a calf injury, but do you think he would have made a difference in breaking down those defenses had he been in this game? I think with a player of Willian's quality, you can possibly throw some things out there that, yes, he could have made a difference, but in a game like that, I'm not necessarily sure he was the one for it. He would thrive a little bit more in an open system or in an open game, and those that was a game for somebody who's going to get in between the lines and pick up those um, intelligent positions and find those passes in between the lines, and it just wasn't a good game for, it. Just they just didn't have any players at that end of the field that could do that, and I, I will say that Thomas Partey did look a little pretty comfortable in his debut, his full-fledged debut as a Premier League starter, and another note is this is now Aubameyang's fifth game scoreless. And he has not suffered a struggling stretch like that since 2014. Mm. Uh, now, David, Jamie Vardy isn't 100% fit yet. Uh, so Lester had to sub him in, and he ultimately got the goal to put them over the top. But how can Lester improve when he's not on the pitch? Uh, I think it involves a bunch of different things. Uh, I think, you know, they just seem, they just got James Madison back from injury. I don't think he's fully back to himself. Uh, I think Ineatro needs to play more consistent. Um, and I think, you know, it's along the lines of, like, we, we see Vardy's their best offensive weapon. Uh, I mean, even though, you know, James Madison has so much skill, Vardy's when everything goes through. And just like we saw other teams, um, such as Arsenal struggle sometimes with it when a Bobby hangs out of the field, you know, um, and Tottenham struggle without Harry Kane. Uh, and Manchester City struggle without Aguero. I think it's just for the other guys on the team to step up and uh, try to pull pull a little more weight. Um, and I think that it, it also comes down to the manager about putting players in the position that they thrive in. And uh, I, I, and hopefully, you know, even though Vardy didn't start, um, I, you can see the difference that Vardy makes in the game. Uh, now, another player that's been out uh, and will potentially be out until he is sold in January 
Uh, Mesut Ozil has recently become Arsenal's biggest cheerleader on Twitter, live tweeting during their matches. Harrison, are his talents being better utilized on Twitter or on the pitch? I think this is a situation that it's difficult to comment on simply because we don't know the full story. Um, it has been said that Mikel Arteta was upfront with Ozil and telling him why he's been excluded from the squad, but we all know of the comments that Ozil has made involving China over the last 12 months, and that was deemed to be uh, not okay by the people in China, and they've removed him from Pez and FIFA since, so um, there's a lot to consider when when talking about why he is uh, in the situation that he's in. Moving on to our next match, Tottenham came away with three points after beating Burnley 1-0 with a human son 76-minute header coming off of another header from Harry Kane. Uh, David, what's your take on Tottenham's performance today? Uh, I think the performance today was more important than the 6-1 performance against Manchester United. Uh, I think it's a great comeback after losing to West Ham last week. Um, Burnley's an extremely difficult team, uh, and, and Mourinho knew that before the match. Uh, it was very frustrating to watch. Uh, I caught myself, you know, I don't usually yell at the TV, but yelling at my screen because of just how Burnley sat back in a 4-4-2 and with Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes up top, and it just was super frustrating. Um, and I think, you know, a one nothing performance at Burnley away is something that will those are the most important performances and the ones that eventually, you know, win you trophies. Um, not saying that as winning the title. I'm saying it's just win you trophies, performances that you pull out that you really, um, you know, could go any way. Uh, I think, you know, last year, if we were in that game, we would have lost. So I think that's the difference between um, the squad we have now and Jose Mourinho coming in and doing what he needs to do. And, uh, and it was a great performance. Yeah, it looked like a really good performance, I'll be honest. I didn't expect Tottenham to be able to kind of grind that win out the way that they were going to or the way that they did. I uh, Honestly, I thought Burnley did an excellent job to limit those balls in over the top to find runners in behind. They had three center backs taking care of that most of the game. Um, Kane dropping deep like he normally does just wasn't able to find that fi- that pass, and it was only until Lamella came on that they really kind of got like sort of a foothold in the game. I, I understand they did win the game off of a corner, but... Um, it was a great header from Kane. It was a really nice deft touch, and it was great awareness from Son to make that run into the box and be there when the ball arrived. And It's great for Harry Kane right now. Eight assists, averaging two and a half chances created a game, and he is the he's the driving force behind this Tottenham side. Now, Tottenham did struggle in the game to break down Burnley's defense, ultimately scoring the goal off of a corner. How did Burnley make the game tough? They made the spaces in behind uh, a lot smaller. They made sure that they had three center backs to match up with the constant runners from either out wide or in midfield for Tottenham because they know they love that sweeping ball over the top from Kane who will just drop deep and either Son or Lucas Moura will make one of those runs in behind and they just had those covered all night. And um, until Lo Celso kind of came into the game and uh, Lamella came into the game, they didn't have players to really hold the ball high up the field and break down those tight spaces. And uh, that was uh, that was the struggle for them for most of the game. Uh, now, David, uh, what would you make of Tottenham's attack in this one, specifically with Harry Kane being able to supply those balls that we've seen in recent weeks? Uh, I think it's brilliant. Um, you know, it wasn't our greatest performance. Um, you know, defensively it was. Offensively it wasn't. But, you know, I think those are the games you're going to have. I think Harry Kane dropping into the number 10 role, even playing a number 11 or a number 7 role 
um, is really important. Um, it takes a lot of, you know, stress off of him as a battering ram up top, which is what, you know, got him injured so much in the past. And, you know, I, I, uh, his, his ball playing skills are just something that this is a whole part of his game that, you know, Marino said after the end of the match that he gives a lot of credit to Pochettino for uh, starting the Harry Kane, Youngman Son partnership and, you know, see how far that has gone. But Marino's really brought something out of Kane that nobody really knew he had. And I don't even know if he knew he had. And that's something that, you know, sometimes you don't find in players. Um, when a manager pulls something out of a player that, a star player that adds a whole nother level to their game. Um, and, you know, Youngman Son and Harry Kane now have 29 uh, goals and assists to each other. Um, and that's second in Premier League history, and that's seven back of Lampard and Drogba. Um, and and I, I could I could actually see them beating that this season with how their partnership has gone. Burnley are also still without a win this season. Uh, Harrison, does Sean Dyche need to change his strategy somewhat to avoid relegation, or do you think that Burnley are just going to be able to start getting results? I think you just have to hope that they can start getting results. I don't believe they have players to do a, a full-blown system change of some sort to where they just they finally start attacking after all this time under Sean Dyche. No, no, that's not going to happen. And uh, they have one player that's capable of doing that in Dwight McNeil, and the rest of them, not so much. Um, they've got a great keeper in Nick Pope who, if he can get some clean sheets behind him, maybe they can build some confidence. But no, for now, they have to ride this out and really just get back to their winning ways the ways they know how. In our next match of the weekend, Liverpool hosted Sheffield United and ultimately won 2-1. to one. Um, Sheffield struck first, scoring a penalty in the 13th minute after a Fabinho tackle on the edge of the box, which VAR reviewed whether or not the tackle was in the box but did not review whether or not it constituted a foul. Uh, I hate bringing up VAR again, but is this another screw-up, Harrison? I don't really think it was. I... I... <laughs> Yes, the play the the placement of the tackle is very questionable. Um, you can make the argument either way that it was or was not in the box. I do believe it was a foul. Um, I know we talked about that pre-show whether it was or was not a foul. I believe it was a foul. He came around and wrapped his leg around in front of him and, and kind of came through him. And um, yeah, it just there's so much to discuss with VAR. There's so many issues. There's so many miscommunications and rules that we don't quite understand, and it's just going to take a little bit more time, but this weekend was uh, full of some some issues. Hmm. And an interesting development in this game, uh, Jurgen Klopp changed the 4-3-3 that we've seen in uh, recent weeks and in recent seasons to a 4-2-3-1 that's occasionally um, been brought up, but Salah was playing up top, uh, Diogo Jota was playing on the right, and Mane was playing on the left. Uh, David, do you think this is something that we're going to see more and more of with the amount of games scheduled for this season, trying to rotate players um, in order to prevent injuries? Uh, yeah, I do. I also think it somewhat has to do with the Van Dyke, uh, the loss of Van Dyke. Um, and I know that won't he won't ever say it, but I think it does. I think the, the 4-2-3-1 is a little more defensive and allows you to have a more sit-back player. Um, to protect the, the front line. And I know Joe Gomez had an outstanding game, uh, but, you know, not having that um, that natural center back that I know Fabinho played it, and I know Matzip didn't play, but my point being is I think I think it will help protect 
injuries. It will help allow rotation because it allows you to move players in different positions. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool does with the four-two-three-one. Um, I think a lot of teams there. It's still heavily used. It's definitely the most used formation in in all of uh, the Premier League. It just is. Um, but I think it'll be interesting because I've seen it that you know the four-two-three-one people have switched to uh, a four-three-three, um, and Liverpool. That's what Liverpool have you know played a lot about with. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do with it, but I mean, obviously they won the game and the three points are what's most important. All right. So I've got a question for you, Chris here, uh, in, in light of all the, uh, issues and whatnot going on at Liverpool, let's try and look at a positive here. What have you made of the impact of Diogo Jota and having depth up front for the first time in several seasons? So this is a really important development, right? Because all at the end of last season and during uh, the summer window, everyone was saying, oh, we're going to buy Werner. Liverpool's going to buy Werner. It's confirmed. And then Chelsea come in and pick him up. Uh, so we, we were left with a decision on whether or not we would even have uh, any squad depth this season. But one of the interesting things that we saw last year was that the only player who could really play who, who could really back up Sadio Mane uh, and play on the left wing was Divock Origi, who is much stronger as a striker compared to playing out on the wing. And we didn't really have any squad depth in that area. We had Harvey Elliott, who could play on the right, Shakiri who could play on the right, Divock Origi, who could play on the left, but really was better uh, in the middle. So Liverpool really didn't have a player to support Sadio Mane in that position. With Diogo Jada. His his pace and his dribbling ability are, in my opinion, quite close to what Sadio Mane was when he joined Liverpool, right? He likes to take the ball um, close to the line, outside the penalty box, challenge a defender, and dribble in in a very similar fashion to uh, to what Mane does. So I think it's, it's very, very good that he can play in that position, but then also... Um, if Liverpool were to go to a 4-2-3-1 last season, we saw it a couple times uh, in the season before with uh, Shakiri playing on the right, Mane on the left, Firmino in the middle, and Saul on the top. But uh, Diogo Jada is probably a stronger player than Jordan Shakiri, uh, as much as I love Power Cube. Uh, so I, I think adding his depth this season is going to give Liverpool a whole new angle of attack and more strong feet coming off the bench. And our last game of the weekend, West Ham drew with Manchester City 1-1. to Harrison, West Ham are just turning out results, aren't they? They sure are. They've got a belief in this team, and they are fully committed to just grinding out their defense all game long and making making something of the chances they're given. And let's take our hats off to Mikel Antonio. That was an incredible overhead kick this weekend. And it is incredibly difficult to see. He got his body in perfect position in front of his man, and just it was an excellent finish. Um, it was an even better fi- – oh, no, not an even better finish, but it was a great finish from Phil Foden at the other end too. I love that he loves to get into the box and find those positions in the box, and it was a great first touch and a nice slotted finish near post. Uh, now, David, I know that you already talked about this, but how has City striker fitness uh, been a problem affecting their play this season? I mean, you can just kind of tell. There's my puppy, there's my puppy barking. Uh, you can just kind of tell that, you know, 
Uh, they are struggling with not having a fit striker, and I think that. Thank you, Tug. Um, you can just tell, you know, that they're not a fit striker, and um, and I think it's just Manchester City needs to have that that pure number ten up top, and they don't. Um, and I think just you know missing Gabriel Jesus and Aguero just coming back from injury, um, and it also makes you question, you know, what what's going on with Manchester City? Is that do they still have the same beliefs that they used to have and push? And I'm sure if Andy was here, Andy would, would say they do. But, I mean, I, I think, like, you know, with the with the stumble of Manchester City, I really, I had them winning my Premier League at the beginning of the, ta- of the season, and I don't anymore. Um, and, you know, just how the, the season started, especially with injuries. You know, they have these wonderful players, you know, Kevin De Bruyne and Raheem Sterling and Guerrero, but if they're not all healthy and they're all clicking at the same time, you see, a, uh, you see, a, you you see that this, these teams will stumble and uh, draw games that they used to not draw. Yeah, it's just another example of City struggling against a team that's going to sit deep and make them work out those goals, and it's just it's just not there for them. Um, we've talked about fullback depth being an issue in games like this, where they just lack the creativity from wide areas. Teams will just compact the middle and make sure all of those maestros in midfield don't have the space to make those passes, make those runs, and it was just a struggle again for City. And it's going to be an even bigger struggle, Aguero picking up an injury knock. It's even putting him in question for the Liverpool game in a couple weeks' time. And we have watched plenty of Raheem Sterling in that false nine position, and I think it's fair to say that that is is not the way they want to win games. That's not how they're going to win games, and it's, it's going to be an uphill fight if that is how they plan on setting out. And now moving on, of course, Premier League wasn't the only thing happening this week. We had the first week of Champions League group stage play. Some of the big matches from last week. We'll do a quick roundup. Lazio defeated Dortmund 3-1. Chelsea drew with Sevilla 0-0. Manchester United overcame PSG 2-1. Real Madrid fell to Shakhtar Donetsk 3-2. Liverpool beat Ajax 1-0. Man City beat Porto 3-1, and Bayern trampled Atletico Madrid 4-0. Harrison, talk a little bit about that game. I think that Bayern, I think that Bayern just really took the game by the scruff of the neck. I think that Atletico Madrid are a team struggling. I think they're a team struggling in belief in what they do at this point. I think that we know the modern-day manager, their lifespan is, is much shorter than maybe it was 20 to 25 years ago, and Diego Simeone is living out his very last days as an Atletico Madrid manager this season, I believe. This is just not a team that can grind out the results like they used to. They just don't have that strong spine at the back of the field, at the, at the back line anymore. You've got a club that wants to bring in players like Jao Felix to play attacking football and make it attractive and... It's just not there. The desire from the coach to do that and the desire from the board is a, is a different thing entirely. And Bayern Munich just showed what a force they really are. A complete team all around. And we'll see how they get on with uh, the likes of Alfonso Davies picking up an injury this week that will see him out uh, sidelined for six to eight weeks. But I am sure that they are a, a well-oiled machine that is just going to keep on rolling. David, how do you sum up Bayern's performance? I mean, 4-0, that's... That's pretty good. I think Luis Suarez has um, um, 12 goals against him playing Bayern in his last two matches. I mean, I think we just you're just witnessing the, the best team in the world in Bayern Munich, and um, I think that, you know, 
you know, I, I, we talked uh, last week about, you know, who the favorites were to win the Champions League. And, you know, Bayern is definitely one of the favorites. Uh, even with the loss of Thiago, um, you know, you can tell just how strong they are. And, the, and the, you know, the Bundesliga is su- it's such a good league. Um, I mean, it's not like the, the Farmers League in, in France that, you know, you seem to have these teams that one good team, like as in PSG, and they seem to crumble. Uh, when they get to a final or when they get somewhere in the Champions League or in Europe. But Bayern is just the, the best team in the world. Um, it's obvious. There is no team even close to them. And even with their loss to Hoffenheim the, in, the, in the Bundesliga, you can tell that they just you know push it off and, and move on and they continue to dominate. And against the defensive Atletico Madrid team, even with the new signing of Suarez, I, mean, I feel bad for the guy, but he's been you know, getting destroyed by by Bayern. Um, but you know, I, I I just think that the quality of the players, you know, you have the you have the the best striker in the world on 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 Bayern Munich um, and Robert Lewandowski, and, and I'm a Harry Kane guy, and I I I still think Rumford is just unbelievable, um, and you can just see what what that does for a team. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to one player from Bayern Munich who doesn't necessarily get all the plaudits from everybody else because you have, uh, as Thomas Muller refers to him, you have Robert Lewandowski, you have Manuel Neuer, and uh, even Serge Gnabry. And the guy who just doesn't get enough is Joshua Kimmich. I believe he is the most complete footballer in all of Europe. I think that he could play anywhere on the field. And you ask him to play anywhere, he would play it. He would play it probably to at least an eight and a half out of ten. I don't, I don't believe I've seen him drop a performance less than that when I've watched Bayern Munich play. It's just, it's unbelievable the standards that he has for every game, the level that he has for every game. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And his class is summed up perfectly in that goal to Kingsley Coman. The weight on that pass is absolutely gorgeous. The touch and finish from Coman is something, but the ball itself, absolutely excellent. And he is currently the most complete footballer in Europe. Now, as I mentioned, Manchester United 2, PSG 1. Harrison, sum up this performance um, compared to maybe some of United's league matches. It seems like Ole keeps um, winning them when they count. Yeah, I would say that it was a really good performance from a Manchester United team that set out knowing that they have to stop one of the most potent attacks in all of Europe. They had a robust midfield, too, with McTominay and Fred in there, which we have now come to know as the team, when they set out with those two in midfield, they're going to work. They're going to make sure they can hit on the break. They're going to make sure they're covering all the spaces, and they're going to work harder with those two in midfield than with another combination of possibly Matic, Van de Beek, Pogba, whoever. And that was just a full-on team belief with Martial and Rashford deployed in that two up front, just trying to hit on the break, and they were able to. They were able to find and carve out some really great chances, uh, Maybe it was a poor pass or Rashford or somebody trying to square it. Nonetheless, they got their two goals they needed, and they walked away with a win. I thought Rashford showed up big in a big in a big game, as he usually does. It's starting to become a, a normal trend for him to show up in these big games. And I, I just thought it was a, a good result. I think that's why I'm not so panicked after the Chelsea nil-nil draw. I think it was a measured approach from both managers this weekend off the back of some pretty draining European performances. And looking forward to this week, some of the big matches to walk, watch. <laughs> excuse me, uh, Manchester City versus Marseille, Liverpool versus, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Midland. 
Atletico play Salzburg, Atalanta play Ajax. But we have three games that we are going to discuss. The biggest one, perhaps, uh, missing the biggest player, Juventus versus Barcelona. Harrison, what does Cristiano Ronaldo missing this match mean for this Juventus team? Absolutely everything. Uh, what they did this past weekend against Verona was awful. Uh, they don't look the same team without him. I believe that they have become so accustomed to him being in the lineup that their adjustment from playing their defensive style football to then the $100 million purchase of Ronaldo has changed their system from defense first to find Ronaldo in the best goal-scoring possibility goal scoring position possible and that's what it is and they're still trying to adjust to the third new system under Pirlo and without that target man they look a team that's lost they do have good attacking options going forward don't get me wrong if they show up with a front three this weekend or uh, excuse me tomorrow or Wednesday with Chiesa, Kulishevsky, and Morata that is a formidable attack nonetheless that is, is a very formidable attack but Either way, I think we're going to see a fairly average game. I wasn't, I didn't have massive expectations for it with Ronaldo simply because both teams have not, they've been, they've not been at their great heights uh, recently. And this past weekend's performance in the Clasico from Barcelona, and then against Verona this weekend from Juve, it, uh, it doesn't give me high hopes for this game. Yeah, and now David, uh, Barcelona have also been struggling this season. So, which player from each team do you think has is going to have the best performance of this game? Well, the one's easy, Messi. Because um, he's the greatest player of all time and the greatest player in the world. Um, even in a struggling Barcelona team, you know, everything goes through him. Um, and then on Juventus, um, you know, Dybala needs to, you know, step up to the plate. Um, and, I mean, I don't watch Serie A. Um, and I, I don't, I know that Ronaldo is out right now with COVID or due to COVID, but, um, you know, and you're talking about the two best players in the world as in Messi and Ronaldo. Um, and even though they're in the latter part of their years playing, you know, uh, Barcelona, if they didn't have Messi, I don't know, really know what they would have. Um, and watching them struggle this past weekend um, against Real Madrid, uh, you can just tell that the error is ending for Barcelona. Um, and they're going to have to rebuild, and they'll be back. Uh, but, you know, I, I just think that Messi and Dybala or, um, or you know, Messi and Artur, um, these players that, you know, Juventus have that are super important to them need to step up to the plate, and, and hopefully, um, you know, you can, can stay with the greatest player of all time. And another game to watch this weekend, or this week, excuse me, Mönchengladbach plays Real Madrid. Real Madrid, of course, last week in the Champions League, surprisingly fell to Shakhtar Donetsk 3-2, but they have since played uh, Barcelona in El Clasico and beaten them. Harrison, do you think that's enough for them to have a good game, that extra um, motivation after that win? Look, we've become accustomed to Real Madrid having this on-off switch for some time now, especially under Zidane. It's shown its head more often than not, and I think I think last week we just got a perfect example of a team just looking forward to the weekend. They didn't start Benzema. There were several key players missing from that lineup, including Sergio Ramos, and that was just it. It was just not a full-forced, focused Real Madrid team against Shakhtar, and they got run over. And I believe they'll show up this week ready tomorrow to win. 
I, I just don't see it any other way. I think this team was just been trounced last week, embarrassed at home by Shakhtar. They're off a 3-1 win against NL Clasico, where they were much the better team. And some great performances from some great players like Fede Valverde, for example. I thought he was absolutely excellent. He is He's arguably the most informed player currently for Real Madrid. And I think they're going to be looking for Benzema to really kind of get things going, get the wheels turning for him. And... Yeah, I think Mönchengladbach is not a team to to trifle with. We saw last week the two-two finish with Inter. They're a good team. They've run. They've got a great structure to them, and they they all understand their roles very well. And I see them lasting a very very good ninety minutes with Real Madrid. And now the last game that we are going to talk about coming up in the Champions League: Manchester United play RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig, of course, have been looking very strong in the Bundesliga. Harrison, how are United going to set up against this quick? counterattacking team I think that we might see the similar setup last week to PSG I think we're going to look at a back three um I would say Axel has a good shot at getting back in this back three either Maguire will partner him or Lindelof uh personally I hope it's Lindelof but I think you'll see Shaw slot into the left center back with Tellez at the left wing back as well as uh Juan Basaka opposite right wing back and then you'll see that same setup I think the idea is possibly Damage limitation in terms of the break from them. I understand they are in Manchester. They are going to have a bit more of the ball, but we're going to have to see them try and create from this formation that they were in last week. Um, I know that Leipzig are without four um, pretty important players. Conrad Leimer is out. I, uh, Amadou Diara, uh, Lucas Klosterman, and Nordi Mukiele. And I think the United need to take these six points. They need to get off to a good start because then that leaves you with uh, Basek here. Uh, twice PSG and Leipzig one more time, and having secured six points with those fixtures ahead would be uh, a great way to have a have it set up. Of course, Champions League isn't the only thing happening this week. David, how are things looking down in the Europa League? Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, Europa League is actually a lot of fun. It gives you a, gives your gives your team. Uh, they allow you know five substitutes and uh, an eighteen person squad, um, so you can have. More than eighteen, I think it's twenty-one. Um, they allow you to have all these players on the bench, so our, mostly our whole team was on the bench last time. Uh, and for Arsenal and Leicester and Tottenham, you know, it gives us the opportunity to one play some guys that don't get to play all the time. Um, and you know, I enjoyed watching the game last week, um, and it gave some guys that I don't usually get to see in the Premier League uh, time to start. Um, and I think that's the same for Arsenal. Uh, Thomas Partey watching the Arsenal game last week um, was just immense in the second half. Just, I mean, the best player in the field by far. Uh, what a signing he is going to be for Arsenal. Um, and it, it was really good. It was really good. Yeah, those Thursday night trips to Kazakhstan can be pretty beneficial. Did you say Arizona? I said those Thursday night trips to Kazakhstan can be pretty beneficial, can't they? Oh, they're great. They're they're great games. And uh, but I mean, like it'll give the opportunity for players um, in Tottenham's or Tottenham like Billy Alley um, to get game time and Gareth Bale, um, who's not fully fit yet. And you know, it gives time for rest for Perry Kane, who for the first time since 2017 got to, was an unused substitute on the bench. And um, you know, and it gives these players the squad, the squad that you know these huge Premier League clubs. Have it gives them a chance to show why they should be in the Premier League squad. If only Mourinho believed in keeping youth in his squad. I mean, he's 
I, I, you know, I, I have to say I'm, I'm super impressed with him. Um, and we've, we've had this conversation before. Um, he has seemed to play a little bit more youth now than he did in the past um, with Jaffa Tenkenga. Um, we just bought Joe Grodin from um, Swansea. Um, and I know he's 23, but, you know, he's a young player from the championship that just came up. And it gives the guys, uh, Jack Clark got his first, uh, his debut last week in the Europa League, um, which is awesome for the 19-year-old. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, um, you know. And, I mean, the squad we have now, for God, we had, we, we, we had, an, if you would have added Jack Clark and another youngster from our U23 team today, the guys that weren't in the traveling squad to Burnley could have made a starting 11 in the Premier League, um, which is something that I don't think I've ever said before as a Tottenham Hotspur fan. That was good to hear our thanks to our resident Europa League expert. Um, and now on to everyone's favorite part of the show, the predictions for this week. Currently, I am 6 for 10 in my predictions. David, you are 3 for 7, and Harrison, you are 3 for 8. So I will get the predictions started. Uh, my first one will be uh, I choose Fulham to beat West Ham purely because uh, this is the only team that I can see Fulham beating. Uh, in the Premier League this season. Hopeful that they get more points than uh, Derby, but um, we shall see. And then I will be picking Manchester City over Sheffield. Man City have been struggling lately, but uh, so have Sheffield. So, Harrison, what are yours? I have Chelsea beating Burnley, as well as West Brom beating Fulham. I think that I think that Fulham or I think West Brom have got to get this. I think they just have a little bit more going forward, and uh, there's not a whole lot for either of them, so that just that little bit may be enough. And, David, what are your predictions? Uh, so I got three again to try to catch up. Um, I will be taking Southampton. Oh, I already took Southampton. <laughs> no, I'll be taking Burnley over Chelsea. Um, I will also be taking... Wolves over Crystal Palace. Oh, you have already chosen Wolves. I've already chosen Wolves. You've already okay, chosen Wolves. Oh, I got this then. I got Crystal Palace over Wolves. All right. And Better then, choice. Uh, Better choice. Then I'm, then I'm taking Manchester United over Arsenal. All right. Good to hear. That does it for our show. Tune in next week for another episode, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.